Gamers, welcome to episode 110 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created right now by Cubicle 7 Games. Uh, we cover off each of the game systems. Right now, we're still in a bit of a, a news lull at the moment, as Wrath and Glory has just been re-released by Cubicle 7. Uh, if you listen to episode 109, you know we're currently trying to get the team from Cubicle 7 on for an interview, and that's still a work in progress right now. Yep. Um, but there has been some other stuff going on, so we figured, um, especially because, Mike, you're on holidays right now, so you've not got so much work, uh, and we're all still stuck inside because of the COVID crisis, uh, we could maybe get together and, and chat about what's been going on in the in the 40K RPG space and war game setting in general, because there's obviously been some big news in the last sort of week or so. Yes. Um, so why don't we, before we get to that, let's just talk about our sort of what we've been up to recently. Um, I don't think we actually gamed at all. I, mean, I think we did a Pendragon session. Yeah, a single Pendragon session is yeah. all we've done since Yeah, we haven't done Battletech since then at all. No, no so. we haven't had my game again That's since. it, yeah. But, um, oh, no, no, we, I don't, we, hadn't, we hadn't done your... your Have so, we not done it before? No, we hadn't done your... So, oh, so, so we this, had the first session. Yeah, think. so this is Mike's um, converted Horus Heresy in uh, Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules. We had the first session of since the last show as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that seemed to go all right, I think. Although yeah, we we're, we're all, well. all playing brooding characters, so anytime there was an opportunity to role play... You, like, you, you all <laughs> avoided it. <laughs> stood around looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was okay. Yeah. What's it, the, uh, do you ever watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yes. Yeah, what's, what's the name of the, the, the captain in oh. that? The, um, oh. <laughs> the, 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 there's, there's a meme from it, because we had this in, in a game I was doing on the weekend recently where... Uh, uh, I sort of did the whole, okay, you guys role play amongst yourselves. I did sort something out and then nobody, nobody did anything. And there's a line from Brooklyn nine, nine where he goes, you know, why is nobody having fun? I specifically requested it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, you can get that sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did, so we did your game. We did, um, uh, pen, I did a pen dragon. And obviously I've still been doing the weekly streaming of Rogue Trader. Which is now nine episodes in, so still going, still going pretty well there as well. No, it's so. going pretty well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that's probably it. I mean, what about you? Now you've got some holidays. You're painting again, Mike. What are you working on at the yeah, moment? Yeah, uh, working on some minotaurs. Yeah. Minotaurs chapter. Yeah. How so, are you finding doing a metallic base for? A... Um, I think I've finalised the base that I'm going to go with. So I painted a five test guys, all with slightly different methods to get to the same colour. Yep. And I've picked one which I like. So it's a bit more of a darky, reddy, bronze colour rather than the very brassy colours that a lot of people tend to do. Okay, this is yeah, okay, this is for Minotaurs, yeah. So yeah. are you um 
Did you try anything with a contrast at all? Or I did try two of them with contrast, yep. and they weren't the best looking ones. Okay. Yeah. So they came out okay, but I, I don't think that the time savings good enough for the uh, for the quality at the end. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm of two minds regarding using contrast for metallics. Um, my, my thought would be to use a light contrast over a metallic base, potentially. I found using contrast when I did my Iron Warriors, it looked very good. Yeah, um, and you were using Bellicanum Grey, whatever it's called? Uh, Basilicum Grey. That's right, Basilicum Grey, that's right. Over gunmetal, over a silver base. Over lead, lead belcher. Lead okay. belcher spray yeah. base, yeah, and that looks fine, that looks fine, I'm happy with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I would try that. But then certainly, I mean, I've got things like, I play um, Alpha Legion and... I've never done, I've never sort of tried to paint the sort of metallic blue that a lot of people do for Alpha Legion. I sort of stick I don't with like the metallic blue. Yeah, I've I've seen it pulled off well. But it's one of those ones where when it looks good, it looks really good. When it looks less than good, it looks very mediocre. Uh, so controversial as well. But with Thousand Suns, I'm not a fan of metallic red or metallic blue. Oh, for Horus Heresy. Yeah, uh, so. well, f- for any of them, there's a lot of people do the metallic blue for the for the modern ones. I like the flat colours. I think okay. they look better. Because pretty much, I think just the bl- personal preference. I, I have nothing against the metallic ones, but I just prefer the flat colors. Because yeah, it's Sotek green, the colors. It's because it's, it's Temple Guard blue and Sotek green is what I use for my for my yeah, Alpha Legion. I think he's Sotek. And, and you'd use those for for um, Thousand Suns too, wouldn't you? Or? I don't know. I can't. I've okay. done any ages. Yeah, to us, our friend Steve, who's actually got some. <laughs> he's done. Now, I've I've got some too now, but uh, I haven't painted any of them yet. Um, and I've basically been working on my Imperial Fists, really. At the moment. I, I did some, I managed to knock over some more of my sister stuff. Um, but yeah, primarily in lockdown, I've just been getting through on the Imperial Fists while, uh, every time I get out to paint something yellow, you know, I've got my finite supply of Lamenta's yellow and Avalon Sunset spray left. And every time I use a little bit more, I'm thinking like, will this, you know, will this suffice? And the funny thing was when I designed my Imperial Fist army, I did a 2000 point army. I worked out what I needed. I bought those models. I've painted probably a third of that, but along the way, I've also gotten other stuff. It's like, oh, you know, I might also paint this as an Imperial Fist, and it's not actually in my 2,000-point list, but I'm using those same resources to paint up, like like the Victor Warsaw. So do you prefer the Ultramarines or the Imperial Fists? Um, for, do you mean... Play a, and a, paint. A, a Play and paint. paint. Okay, so um, that's a quick it's a question. So I like the... So let's go, back to, let's go back a step when it comes to picking Marine chapters. So... When I first started playing 40k, aesthetically, the chapter that I liked the most was Dark Angels. Yeah. Um, I liked, I liked the green. I liked the sort of the robes over the top, you know, but th- this is back in high school. And at the time, I had a high school friend who was playing Dark Angels as well. Um, and this was before Games Workshop opened in Australia. This is when we were buying the, the stuff from, from third party hobby retailers. Um, and at the time, cause I started with Space Crusade and in Space Crusade, you got, you got Ultramarines, Imperial Fists and Blood Angels. And first off, the rules for each one were different. Like you actually got, cause you got card decks in Space Crusade for gear you could upgrade. Yeah. And those decks were different for each of the chapters. So you could do different things. And of course, no one, you know, we're talking about a bunch of, you know, eight to 10 year old boys here. No one wanted to play the Yellow Marines whenever we played Space Crusade. So, uh, generally speaking, I'd usually end up with the Ultramarines there. So, when I started off and someone else took Dark Angels, when I like to look at Dark Angels, I sort of defaulted to Ultramarines then because um, I didn't like... I, I never really got into Space Wolves um, early on. Uh, and my brother-in-law at the time was playing Space Wolves. 
Um, and I don't remember, I don't remember what it was about, about Blood Angel that turned me off, but I, I just, anyway, I just ended up going with Ultramarines at the time. But I didn't do a lot back then, you know. And then later on, Games Workshop actually opened in Australia. Um, and this is when I sort of caught up when first met you and we first started playing with that, with that group later in high school. And at that point in time, I started, I, I, I really didn't keep anything left over because all I had was some old, um, the Mark one plastic space Marines from when I first started out and like the old Patton Rhino and, and Land Raider. So I sort of started with new stuff from Gates Workshop at the time. And at that point in time, your brother wanted to play, um, Dark Angels. Yeah. Uh, so once you get that time, I sort of said, okay, well, I'll, I'll default back to Ultramarines. So I've, I've, and I've collected a lot of Ultramarines over time. I think that when I got back in at the start of 8th edition, in 8th edition rules, I was sitting on about 30,000 points of Ultramarines at the start of that edition. Um, and when I say Ultramarines, like I'm talking models that were spray painted blue or that had, you know, etched Ultramarine symbols on them as such. Like I really didn't have a painted army at the time. Yeah. Um, now, since then, um, I, and I've played Old Friends for quite a while, and I've got I've, I've got Gulliman, so I don't mind doing the, you know, the this this pretty Gulliman stuff, you know. Um, but I think I, what it was, I think that so one of the things on my Ultramarines army, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I've tried to avoid miniature duplication. So I've tried to make it so that all of the stuff in my Ultramarines army is as unique as possible. So I've got like four. Um, regular tactical marine squads and all four of those, like one of them is from the old, um, uh, assault on black reach box. Yeah. One of them is for the battle from a crag box. One of them was from the old edition, you know, uh, tactical squad box. Once new, so like literally every single tactical squad, the models are unique, you know, not, not the same body and arm, the same body and legs with different arms, like literally unique models. And then obviously when, when, Dark Imperium came out. Dark, all the stuff in Dark Imperium was unique sculpts. They're all monopost sculpts. Uh, and then you, I bought the actual intercessor boxes and that sort of stuff. But my Ultramarine's army is like just a whole bunch of, um, one of this and one of this and one of this. You know, I've got one, one dreadnought, one venerable dreadnought, one land rate, one rhino, one whirlwind, one predator, you know. Yeah. Um, just cause it was more of a collection than it was something that was, it wasn't built around playing something, um, aggressively. And then, and I mentioned this show before, but later on in the cycle of eighth edition, when they started to bring out the new edition Space Marine Codex, and they started the, the second, the second edition one, and they started to do the actual chapter books, I thought, you know, I wouldn't mind doing an all Primaris army. So I bought the um, Salamanders book at the time, and I had this idea about this, you know, fire flame weapon focused Salamanders list, but of course, nothing from Primaris pretty much has flame weapons except for aggressors and um invictus warsuits uh so it came out the same time as the imperial fist book so i went I literally went back to the games workshop store the next day bought the imperial fist book and like sat down on my phone i was in melbourne at the time uh traveling somewhere else i sat in the train and, and like just wrote a list on my phone uh, and that this was more like i wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a competitive list it was just my attempt at making a list that was playable um i said this is playable the competitive. competitive, you know, it was, it was, it was like, it was three of this, three of that. That's sort of, so it's got like two, two repulsor executions, three Stormhawk interceptors, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that like reading the doctrine of the Imperial Fists in terms of like, when I think about when I play, um, characters in MMOs or in role playing games, I'll usually try to default to like a tank style character and the tank sort of style fits well with, 
the Imperial Fist doctrine, you know. Yeah. Um, so it fits pretty well with Iron Warriors, uh, sorry, Iron Hands too, but I've just got that many black armies. I didn't want to start another black army. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it would probably be beautiful. And actually, everyone says yellow is a harder color to paint. I developed a technique for yellow I like while working on my Hawksgrad Knights. Um, unfortunately, it relies upon paints that you can't buy anymore. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I bought substantial amounts of supplies before we went out of production. Yeah. Um, but I just like the way that it's, it's an easy enough one to paint. I like the way it looks. Um, so right now I'm having more fun painting the Imperial Fist. I, I literally have not painted an ultramarine model since I started collecting fists. Yeah. Um, and the other problem is that because the thing I do now is everything I buy as I'm painting it, I paint it in pieces and I put it together as I'm going. Like I do some assembly, you know, but obviously but I work out what makes sense to separate and paint and what makes sense to put together. Whereas all my ultramarine stuff was all just like build, 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 base coat with a spray. Okay, now I'll put that aside till I get the time to paint it. So um, if I look at like a Land Raider, like all the tracks are glued on and spray blue. Whereas when I've done stuff more recently, I literally um, press fit some of the stuff or use blue tack to hold it together uh, or leave the tracks off entirely, spray it, and then do the tracks separately. And then when it's all ready, they can get glued on. Um, yeah. you know, I've got the, the Rhino chassis. I've got my whole mechanism of what I glue, what I don't glue, so I can pull it apart to work on it as I'm working, you know, as I'm going through. So, um, yeah, I've... I've learned a lot more about painting since I first started back with 8th edition and so all my ultramarine stuff is just a whole bunch of fully assembled models that have been spray blue and because it was really my first time using a spray primer other than the old black and white some of the models I completely clogged the models with too much spray or too close spray and so detail is gone so I think that what stops me from doing anything more the ultramarine front now is I, I pick up to do something on them and go uh, you know, I'm, I'm not starting from a, from a comfortable place to start working with. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the Imperial Fist, it was like, okay, I'll just buy all, I've got all these boxes and I'm just going to build this and paint this as I go. But I'm still like nowhere near all the way through it. It's funny because earlier in the year, I, um, I was heading over to, uh, to England later on this year, originally before the whole COVID situation for work. And I reached out to, um, the team at Tabletop Tactics, uh, because they occasionally have guests on the show. And I said, Hey, I'm looking at coming over from Australia. You know, this is my involvement. I've got this podcast and you know, something I do with, with uh, GW stuff. Any chance you would consider me joining the show for, for you know, and I, and I thought, and I, this is back in January I had this communication. And I thought, I was going in September. I thought, surely by September I can get this Imperial Fist Army painted up. Now, at the time when they responded, they were sort of like very, mm, don't know, maybe, yeah, our calendar's pretty full right now. And then everything, then the whole world went to pot. So, that's obviously not going to happen now, but it's now a few days before the before June, and I'm, I said maybe about a third of the way through the army, and of course the bulk of what I haven't painted is infantry, you know. So <laughs> because it's you and you hate painting infantry, we know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I hate. I've, my, I've done plenty of characters. I've done characters that weren't even the list, you know. But uh, it's just yeah, it's that bulk painting. Um, whereas the, the tank stuff is fine. Even like so, I finished a repulsor execution. I finished a stormwalk interceptor. But I've still got one repulsor execution finish and two Stormhawks, where even that feels production liney. The fact that I've, I've fully done one. Um, anyway, I'm getting completely off topic there. <laughs> but, uh, well, we've been funny. off topic we've for the last long 10 time. minutes. Hey, no, that's, that's, people are going, I think people listen to the show for uh, for just the banter anyway. Yeah. But that, that gives you some insight into into why I collected what I collected. And then every now and again, I pull out something. Oh, I'm going to paint some Eldar now. I'm going to paint some Sisters now, or whatever the case may be. But I mean, you and I don't play competitively, we play with friends. Um, yeah. So it goes pretty easy. 
Um, all right, so well, we've been talking about, about the war game for some time now, so probably let's stay on that topic first off then. So obviously the big news in the last week is 9th edition dropped, um, or dropped. The, the, the news of its impending release dropped. Now, this whole process was, I found quite interesting because there were, people have been, there have been rumours about 9th edition coming soon for a long time. There been rumours for 9th edition since September last year. Yeah, pretty much since 8th edition came out, there was rumours for 9th edition. Yeah. Um, and, and people, uh, I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on another side topic here, but this is from a, from a conversation I had yesterday. So as soon as 9th edition was announced, there were always, there's always people that say, it's too soon. You know, like they're, they're just milking, they're just milking us for money, you know, reasons for us to buy more models, etc. Now, this edition came out in early 2017. Um, 9th edition not out yet. It'll come out in probably the second half of 20, 2020. So you're talking, at, you know, around three years, you know. And if you look at, like, literally the last five editions have been between two and four years. So it's right. It's right on the money. And we, we got over the topic in that conversation about... Like, you know, the, the drive to, to buy more models. And I said, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is a, is a commercial business. You know, it, it has to, it has to push a product. Um, and it's either got to find new entries or it's got to sell new product to existing, existing participants. Uh, and they do that well. And I said that, you know, plenty of companies do this. They're not the only company that does this. In the case of the conversation, I pointed to Magic the Gathering and said, look, Magic the Gathering is a classic example of a product that, you know, has had power creep and, they, it pushes people to buy more, that sort of thing. And, and the person I was talking to at the time, um, quite rightly came out. I, I think that my tone might have sounded like I was saying, hey, look at these magic guys, they suck. And that wasn't what I was trying to say. Um, and he came out and said, look, magic is actually, or Hasbro, who owns Magical Wizards, have done a really good job of engaging with their community and ensuring that the amount of, you know, power creep or, you know, what we call codex creep in 40k is not as, not as bad. Like, certainly, you know, you could still use, really, really old edition cards in a modern deck and have them still be relevant. You know, they, they have some mechanisms to control that. And I said to them, you know, rightly, yeah, so what you say is correct. I, I think that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast are a textbook example of doing this in a way that doesn't immediately alienate their, their consumer base. But at the end of the day, a business is accountable to its shareholders first and its consumers second. Um, now, obviously, without consumers, there is no company to have, it, have shareholders be a part of. But it's still, and I said to them, you know, if, if you in 2010 took $1,000 and bought shares in Hasbro, then today you would have just under $6,000. Okay? If you took that same $1,000 in 2010 and put it into Games Workshop, today you'd have $2.5 million. Um, so, you know, they obviously have done, have done pretty well by their shareholders. Now, has it alienated the community? I don't know, maybe. I mean, there are some. Yeah, some. There, there, are, there are certainly people that have been burned on. And I've got friends that play War Machine because they were 40K people and loved it, but they just got pushed away from it and decided to do something that was different slash cheaper slash whatever. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, as, a, as a business person, I will always, and as a, not a business person, as a person who looks after product, I will always look at the product side of something and say, yeah, if I was in their circumstances, how would I do it too? And even speaking as a fan of the setting, like I would still um, run it like a business because it is a business at the end of the day. Um, and you know, by all by all tokens, with a over two thousand five hundred percent ROI over the last ten years, a very good business for that matter. Uh, and it's because of fans that it, it exists that way as well. Anyway, so um, these, all these rumors existed about ninth edition. 
And yeah, certainly I've started to hear things earlier this year where people were speculating around September this year was when they were expecting something to happen with it. And we've seen the, the uh, we've, we look, you look at Psychic Awakening. A lot of people saw Psychic Awakening as similar to The Gathering Storm. So The Gathering Storm was a major event which happened at the end of 7th edition. And it really set up this final... So at the end of The Gathering Storm, once all the stuff in the Indominus Crusade was sort of set up and ready to be done, the sort of the final bit of it was, okay, the Death Guard are attacking um, the Ultramar Segmentum. You know, literally attacking the worlds of of the Ultramarines. So that set up, okay, the next big conflict is Death Guard and Ultramarines and bang, out comes Dark Imperium, Death Guard versus Ultramarines. They're the first first two codex to come out. You know, this is the um, uh, the, the 8th edition launch, basically. Uh, So then you've got Psychic Awakening in 8th edition where you've been building up all this sort of stuff. And certainly there's been this emphasis now towards the end of Psychic Awakening about... Um, the Necrons and the Return of the Silent King. Uh, and so in the days leading up to the official announcement, when they, when they announced there was going to be an announcement first off, um, everyone started saying, okay, well, is this a ninth edition announcement? And my initial thought when I first heard about it, I was like, no, this is no way this is ninth edition because I still think it's going to be end of the year or late late this year. And you're, very, you're going to be very careful about announcing a new product when you're still in the life cycle of the old product because the first thing people do is stop buying the old product. Yeah. You know, so unless you've got a product to replace it with, you're, you're in for in financial troubles, basically. Um, so I didn't think it was going to happen. And I went along to the local games workshop store on the day the announcement was going to happen, and we were chatting about it. He's like, oh, it could be ninth edition. I don't know. You know he, and honestly, I think the guy knew. Um, but we were talking about why it could be, why it couldn't be, et cetera. So then they actually had, on the night, probably about, Two hours before the the actual announcement. That's on the night. And the night in Australia. Um, I don't know where the leak first appeared, but this FAQ apparently went up onto the Warhammer Community website. It was all about ninth edition. Like you know, great, we've announced it. Yeah, Check yeah. out this new logo, etc. This is what's going to happen, etc. Some some guys did some data mining on their website <laughs> and found the link to the FAQ. yeah. That's it. And and it and it was pulled down pretty quickly, but but it was too late by then. It, it would have already been. Um, uh, leaked out and it had been shared and you sh- you sent to me first Mike and when I read through it I'm like okay great so it's going to be ninth edition and then I sort of read it again and thought hmm this is a really really generic announcement like if I if I wanted to write a fake announcement about ninth edition this is pretty much what I'd write because it doesn't tell you anything except for the fact that that there's a new edition coming out it's like yes the rules will be backwardly compatible yes you can still use your codexes yes there'll be a box set yes there'll be new codexes you know, yes, old Marines will still be relevant, et cetera, et cetera. Things that anybody could write and call an FAQ for an edition change. Um, literally, the only thing it revealed was as a new logo. Yeah. So then I started to doubt the validity of that again. And then and, and in looking into the validity of that, I, I got onto Bolter and Chainsword. Well, no, no, sorry, no, Daka Daka. It was the Daka Daka forums. And um, there were more links there. So, that, okay, there's these pictures of Primaris Marines with Chainswords, Primaris Marines on bikes, you know, Primaris Marines with Storm Shields and Power Swords, like all the stuff which hasn't been out there. And people Mastercrafted are going... Mastercrafted Power Swords, thank you. Yeah, Mastercrafted Power Swords. And, and the thing was, they weren't publicity shots. They were like the 3D sculpt views, like the the, 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 like the pictures I was putting up before Sisters of Battle came out. of like, this is a 3D rendering of what the sculpt would look like. Yeah. And people were saying, oh, this, is, this, is, this isn't true. Anyone could do this on a CAD program. You're just, you know, farming for clicks, whatever the case may be. Um, 
Okay, so so I was still unsure then, and then the night starts off, and they the Twitch stream started 15 minutes before the actual announcement, and uh, the, I can't remember uh, Eddie Eccles and uh, I can't remember what his name is. Um, I feel we feel we're stuck now. Anyway, the other guy said, um, "Look, there's been there's been rumors out there, and some of it's you know it's not really true, etc." So I'm thinking, okay, they they know there's been a leak or someone's leaked something, but it's not. Maybe, maybe it is just well, you know it's not really true, but of course, and it did turn out to be true that, that it was actually ninth edition. Um, so I, I, I want to tell you, Mike, about like the emotions I went through while watching that that trailer. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, first of all, what do you tell me? I've been, I've been speaking a while. You know, what do you tell me? What, what did you think of the of the ninth edition launch trailer? First off, I liked the ninth edition launch trailer. I liked the fact that it was an all marine stomping the hell out of everything and winning every single fight. Yeah. Um, th- there was a good amount of the Necrons kicking ass as well. Yeah. Um, graphics certainly looked good. Looked interesting. I was impressed. Yeah. You know, they certainly had aspects that I wanted to see, which was everything looked a lot more grim dark than it did in the, in the tactical version of Ape, where all the intercessors and Primaris, they all looked very bland and generic with no real ornamentation or anything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the conversation I'd had earlier in the day set me up for this, for, 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 for semi-disappointment in this trailer. Because we, we'd, we'd spoken about what I'd mentioned before about how um, the whole thing of Gathering Storm finalised with there's going to be a conflict between the Death Guard and the the Ultramarines, and that was the box set. Death Guard versus Ultramarines, that's what I started with. When, and so I'm thinking, okay, whatever is happening in Psychic Awakening is going to end with the Silent King Returns. It's Necrons versus what? I don't know. So Pariah is the last... The last um, book, or well, last thing to come out for um, for uh, Psychic Psych- Awakening, uh, and I'll I want to come back to the use of the word pariah as well there, but let's come back later. Um, okay, so it's Necrons, and then okay, so the so the, the trailer starts off pure guard. Okay, Necrons are fighting. Bang! In comes the Sister of Battle, and we're now doing this whole combat sequence against of Sisters of Battle against Necrons. Now there is this classic um, trope within 40k that releasing Sisters of Battle is the death knell for any edition. And and lo and behold, in 8th edition, the last codex to come out was Adeptus Sororitas, and now 8th edition is ending and 9th edition is starting. Um, so I'm like, well, okay. You get a whole half an edition where you're the weakest codex. You should look up to that. Um, and so I was thinking, okay, wow, are they, are they actually going to do like a setup of like Imperium, you know, like Sisters of Battle or whatever versus Necrons and this could be the 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 starter box set, you know. This, I have to jump in there quickly. Yep. It's always going to be Marines. Yeah, I mean... 80% of people collect Marine armies. What, what, Marine the, armies are the most common army out there. What was... What, there was one edition box set that was not Marine. Wasn't it... That was Dark Elder versus something? Wasn't it Dark Elder versus... Dark Elder versus Marines. Okay, I thought there was one that was had no Marines in it. But, so, yeah. second edition was Dark Elder versus Orcs. Third edition was Dark... Sorry, yeah, Marine, was, Marines versus Orcs. Marines yeah. versus Orcs. Third edition was Dark Elder versus Marines. Yeah. Fourth edition was... Was that... Um, okay, because seventh edition was... Um, was uh, well, Death Mask came later. I think Dark, um, Dark Vengeance was the first one, which was um, Dark Angels versus... Um, Chaos. Chaos, yeah. Marines versus Marines. Yeah, because you had because the other ones were, were Assault and Black Reach, which is Marines versus um, Orcs. Battle for Macrae, which is Marines versus Tyrannies. Yeah, it's always Marines. And it's always Marines. Okay. It's always yeah. Marines. 
So yeah, but anyway, the thing was I got my hopes up, and then and then banging comes the marine. Like okay, so it's going to be um, marines and and necrons are going to be the starting point. But what what's interesting though is that they've released a a new micro site for the edition, which is just Warhammer40,000.com if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's got this sort of three faction focus where you can sort of like slide between the three factions and from about. Have you been through the page yet? yet? Or you had... Not hugely, no. Okay, so I look at some stuff. As you go down the page, about halfway down the front page, you can slide between um, Sisters of Battle, uh, Necrons, or Ultramarines. And whatever else on the rest of the page is varied based upon what you've selected. So, like, then it's got artwork and it's got pictures and models and it's got stories sort of stuff, you know. And it's so if, you, if you've got to select whatever one of those three. So, it does look like they've got this three way focus at the start of the edition, um, which includes Ultramarine, Sisters of Battle, and, and Necrons. Now, I'm. 100% sure in my head, once uh, I can speculate, I don't know, I don't know sure, but I, I, I feel certain that whatever first box that they bring out will be um, Marines and uh, Necrons. Um, but it feels like they're going to do something with Sister Battle. That being said, um, they said they wanted to put like, you know, hidden gems into that website. So, for example, when you go to the Ultramarines um, microsite or the Necrons microsite, the sample model it shows was not a model they had yet revealed. So in the case of the Ultramarines, it was the um, uh, the lieutenant with the Volkite pistol. Yep. Um, in the case of the Necrons, it was that big thing they showed in the trailer but didn't actually name. Whereas on the Sisters micro site, it's just one of the Sisters of Battle miniatures which has already been released. In fact, one of the ones from the, the box set which you can't get anymore. Yep. Um, so I'm interested to see how that actually pans out. Um, now, the other thing was I was saying before, there were all these other things that got you know, leaked at the time, like the bikes and, and that. And uh, so first off, during the actual official thing on the evening, they showed then the uh, Primaris Assault uh, Intercessors, um, which, of course, one of the things they had, people, people had pictures of their sculpts of. I'm like, okay, so maybe these sculpt pictures are right. Uh, and then literally less than 24 hours later, a, a, an image surfaces of a whole bunch of unannounced stuff, you know, bikes, the Executioner, um, these devastator-looking guys in Gravis Armour with melter guns, you know, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Librarian, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Vanguard, um, you know, uh, apparently a, a, a Cha- Chaplain Cassius re- redo, primary upgrade, for example. Uh, and then there's also, uh, like, leaked images of of, um, uh, of Necrons. And the fi- my feeling is, like, like GW is leaking like a sieve right now. Like, and, and some of the stuff is obviously from within the studio because one of the things I saw was a photograph of a Necron Codex front cover, and a page from within the cover, and it looked like it was a photograph of a computer screen that still had the Adobe elements, like you know the the, the formatting lines from yeah. their um from Illustrator, basically. Um, so I mean, I, I, I don't know how how viral GW are these days, whether this is like a planned leak thing, but certainly in like the three days since the announcement, they've you know, they've announced the bikes, they've announced the um the 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 guys with the shields, you know, all that sort of stuff is being revealed now, so. Um, I don't know if they just sort of saw, look, all the stuff was already out there, so we may as well just mention it, you know, or whether that was all part of a plan or it's just happenstance, I don't know. But uh, yeah. certainly some, some good-looking stuff in there. Um, I think there might be a possibility, just, yeah. just going back a little bit, I think the core box set yeah. might have three armies in it. Yeah. From a marketing point of view, it makes sense because it encourages people to collect more than one army. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think. I was trying to think of how you could do, like, whether you could do like a um, <clears throat> a, a dual version box, like you can buy this box which is Marines versus Necrons, or this box which is like 
Scissors versus Necrons of it. I just saw it like it's it's messy because unless you can well unless you can properly judge the sales interest in each, you're gonna end up with, with stores end up with, with a with a vast amount of one, not the other. Yeah. Um I just yeah, just I, I think that would just be a, a box set, whatever that may contain. Um I do like the idea of like what they do with Dark Imperium, basically having these sculpts are unique to this box set, basically. Uh, and so that's what they did with, with eighth editions. You had Dark Imperium where pretty much everything was unique to that box set. Then you you had the other box sets, which were pretty much just kits that either were available separately or would be released separately in, in due time, basically. So, for example, yeah. Forge Bane had, was the first place you could get Armagal Warclaves, but they then released Armagal Warclaves as a separate kit, you know. Um, you know, Jane Zar and Drazar first appeared in Blood of the Phoenix, but you can now buy those models separately as well. Yeah, there's still some models out there which are still only available in those kits. Yeah, well, there's the primary For example, um, obliterators. You cannot oh, get obliterators. Like, the new yeah. obliterators now, you cannot buy them. Then they're not in the in the chaos um, star collecting are they that was put out from that. No, okay. They're not. Okay. So if you want the new obliterators, good luck. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Because, yeah, there's still, like, there's the Primaris Librarian, which came in, in Wake the Dead. Yeah. Uh, and I think even, I think they haven't released the um, the Spirit Seer from, from that yet either. Um, yeah. So yeah, There's a few models which they haven't released as individual stuff yet. Yeah. And, you know, for characters, okay, no worries. Sorry, Primaris for, Lieutenant, not Librarian. Yeah. There's <laughs> always Primaris <laughs> Lieutenant. Yeah, for, for characters, it's not so much of a big deal. But for, for actual choices, options like Obliterators, yeah. especially a powerful option like Obliterators, it's a bit annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the other, I guess, the talk other than other than revealing models was okay. What's different about Ninth Edition? And I guess if you sort of watch the way that Games Workshop works with editions, they tend to have micro edition changes and macro edition changes. So like going from seventh to eighth was like a complete redo. Yeah. Um. You know, the vehicle system completely changed. You got rid of templates and all sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, going, going from second to third was a huge change. Exactly right. Yeah. And 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 then going from eighth to ninth is a is a much more compatible change. It's more focused on on targeting a few key areas. Yeah. Essentially, you have changes in which you can still use your old codex and changes in which you cannot. Yeah. And, and they did the right thing with eighth edition to bring out the indexes at first, so you could play with everything straight away. Yeah. But um, so some of the rules I've spoken about of note um. I think the one rule that people have spoken most about is the fact that uh, you can no longer effectively um, shut down vehicle heavy vehicles with troops. Yeah. That you know that a unit that's been charged, like a tank that's been charged by troops in Eighth Edition, once they're melee combat, they can't shoot their guns unless they've got special rules like um, the, uh, Still the bane blades that sort of stuff here. Yeah. Um, whereas they're saying now in Ninth Edition there'll be some rule which allows tanks to still fire their main gun even when in melee combat. Um, and of course, there's the people that said, "Oh, this completely invalidates melee armies." Melee armies were already pretty terrible as it stands. Yeah, but they also announced the fact that they're completely redoing terrain and line of sight issues. Yeah, that's right. Which yeah. I think will be a huge advantage towards melee armies, and probably a bigger advantage than just tying up tanks. Exactly, and we don't we don't know until we see what the actual rules are going to look like. And at the end of the day, if they stay in combat with your melee guys and keep shooting, there's a chance they're not going to kill all those guys engaged in melee with your tank, and the tank's going to die because of it. Yeah. Whereas if they retreat away from it. There's no way you can kill that tank. Yeah. So I mean, I, I suppose like for orc players, you could put Grotz up against the Lehman Russ, and the Grotz are, they're, not, they're not going to take down the Lehman Russ yeah. in six turns, um, but they're going to shut down shooting, for example. Yeah. Um, so it gets rid of your screen screen junk from from charging tanks and shutting them down. Exactly right. Which That's which fine. which is more tactical than it is fluff. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, Grotz aren't really going to worry Lehman Russ that much. <laughs> but 
Um, but that was one I spoke about a lot. Um, the other one was you mentioned the the terrain changes. Uh, flyers, um, they they said they want to make flyers more interesting. Uh, one of the rules they talked about is that flyers can fly off and then return in a subsequent turn rather than just being effectively removed from the battlefield as a, as a casualty because they flew off the board. I'm interested to see that whether that's an additional rule they add to some flyers or if it's going to be with all flyers because does that mean that jump pack troops can do strafing runs, fly <laughs> off the table and then know. come back later? Because they've got the fly keyword. I mean, I'll be honest, Mike. In, in all the time I played 8th edition, I have never been in a situation where one of my flyers has been forced to leave the board because of where it's currently no, placed. Absolutely was, not. So it makes me wonder whether if they're going to bring it as a rule, whether they will actually limit, limit fly movement more, like make your turn less substantial or make your minimum move more substantial. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Um, probably the one rule they mentioned that I'm most interested in knowing more about is this crusade mode of play, which to me sounds very much like Path to Glory. It sounds very in, much like Path to Glory. Yeah, Age of Sigmar. So if you're not familiar, Path to Glory is a system, I think it originally came out in White Wolf, uh, White Wolf, White, White Dwarf, um, some time ago, but it was, it was used heavily in Age of Sigmar where, you know, two people want to start, or a group want to start playing the game system. So rather than go buy an army straight up, there's a rule where you can just buy, you know, a single HQ and a single troops and play these really low point games. And then after each game round, you roll dice and determine that how do your characters progress? How do they get more troops? And, you know, then you go and buy those extra things that you've just scored. And the idea is to slowly play while building up to a full size army with your friends. Yeah. Um, which I've seen some very cool, um, campaigns of, uh, Path to Glory on YouTube, for example. Um, and, 40k, it did have some some variant rules for it in um, White Dwarf, but never anything substantial. So I'd like to see how, cause especially because we've got people in our group that are really interested in campaign play too. Uh, and they have said that yeah, there are you know 40k modes of plays now in Ninth Edition, which you can play in a lunch hour. Um, you don't have to worry about having a, like a long game because I mean, Kill Team's still got a place in the setting, for example. And they said Kill Team's not changing right now. Yeah. Um, what will change with Kill Team is there'll be more models because they'll have to bring out Team rules for. You know, assault, assault intercessors and shield vanguards, that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, any other rules that, that you picked out that were mentioned in there? I'm not sure. I'm just... To be honest, I don't think they've mentioned enough of the rules to make any informed decision. Yeah. I think the people waving their arms in the air, lamenting about how terrible it's going to be because they've changed the tanks comp without actually seeing the rule. How can you really make a comment? Yeah. I feel that there's just not enough information out there to make any informed decision. But it looks like they've fixed some of the issues that were inherent to the system, which were tanks being tied up and making them essentially useless if they got, you know, a single grot engaged in combat with them. Um, flyers thing didn't really bother me ever. Um, it's hard to say. The main thing I'm interested in is the fact that they've got new units for Primaris which actually feel the roles that are needed. Yeah. And the Necron stuff, the changes to the Necron stuff, I mentioned it to you that I feel that once again it's a major shift in the design style of Necrons. You know, the original Necrons all looked like Terminator ripoffs. Yeah. All of them. And that was aesthetic was throughout the whole range when Necrons first came out. Then they went to a more Egyptian style and it was all throughout the whole range to the point that those second edition Necrons versus the first edition Necrons. Almost indistinguishable, yeah. Almost indistinguishable. And now, again, it's changed once more to a more zombie style. And I feel that if you're a Necron player and you've been collecting from the beginning, your army is not going to look like a unified force. Yeah. It's going to look 
very patchwork. Yeah. Which is... It's almost like you've got to buy a whole new army. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you're going to just have to put all your stuff up for sale on eBay and replace it. <laughs> Which, by the way, you were talking about your Ultramarines earlier, I think is something you've considered. <laughs> well, what's funny is that uh, the day after the announcement, I was on like a Warhammer Buy Someone's Sell site, and someone's put up like the 8th edition core book at Rulebook for eight, for 20 bucks. And people are saying, like, seriously, like, they just announced a new edition. You know, it's not worth 20 bucks. You know, it's, you're better off putting it on a free firewood website. And then someone else replies saying, oh, no, 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 the laminate pages don't burn well. They would, it's not even any good as firewood. And someone else is like, oh, you're going to pay me 20 bucks to take it. Great. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, suddenly there's all this, uh, eighth edition stuff being thrown up into the second hand market quite cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually, I, let's go back to the point about that because I want to talk more about the fluff side of it now because, Necrons are something we haven't really talked about a lot on our show. No, not really. Um, in, in the scope of the RPGs, we've only really seen the Necrons to a degree in Death Watch and a bit in Black Crusade, yeah. and not in any way that we've really covered. And what's even funnier for me is the fact that the, the game I'm currently running on Twitch on weekends, um, which is effectively the game that I wrote that you played in about three years ago, that we didn't get very far from my campaign, but I just... When someone said, hey, run a rogue trader campaign, I'm like, I'm just going to recycle this campaign I wrote previously, is all about the Silent King um, and the stuff that is now happening in in uh, in, in 40K at the moment. So I, I just, uh, it, I, this is just happy coincidence, yeah. <laughs> especially because my rogue trader game is set pre-Indominus Cruise or pre-Sigifix Maledictum, so it's all sort of out of whack time-wise. Yeah. But, um, okay, so for those of you that, that aren't, overly familiar with the Necron background and what it means to have the Silent King returning. Um, so, so if you go back to the history of the, the, the Necron tier, was effectively that the Necron tier were a, uh, were a slave race to the old ones. No. Uh-huh. No, they were a short-lived race which were jealous of the old ones. That's right. So, so the so, old ones were virtually immortals and Necrons lived like 40 years. Yeah. They, but they died horribly of cancer because of the star they lived around. What happened was that they, they, they bound themselves to the old ones in exchange for immortality. Um, no, they you know, bound themselves to the, the star gods. The Catan, then? The Catan, yeah. I, I, I always get the Catan and the old ones. The, between, uh, the, 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 old, the old ones were the Slan. Oh, uh, okay. So they were the okay. Frog so, so I'm thinking of the Catan, so they bound themselves to yeah. the Catan. Yeah. Bound themselves to the Catan. They were slaves to the Catan. Yeah. Um, and effectively, they, they, they went through a process called biotransference, where they were you know, transmuted from their, their physical forms into the machine form they have now. Um, which to them was largely seen as a betrayal. Um, and so they then rebelled against the Catan, um, you know, sort of destroyed slash defeated the, the, the Catan, broke them up into shards, and then went into slumber, basically, um, where they then sat for 65 million years uh, until the current 40K setting, when things have happened to begin waking up the Necron tomb worlds. Um and of course, so the Silent King's part in all this was the Silent King was the figure within the Necron tier that effectively finally convinced the last of the holdouts that biotransference was what what they wanted, basically. Yeah. You know, that, that at the time, the, the nobles among the Necron tier were unsure if what the Catan was offering was true immortality, and the Silent King was basically the one that said, no, this is all above board. Let's, let, let's do this, guys. Let's just do it. Yeah, that's it. Um, and of course, he hasn't reappeared in the setting in anything other than what other Necrons have spoken about. Uh, and in fact, so so my knowledge of Necrons is probably, I, I'd say probably Necrons and, and Tyranids are probably the, the areas that I'm, that I'm 
the most not not across. Yeah. Um, but for a long while, I didn't even really know how and whether Necrons could actually interact with um, with humans, for example. Like in the uh, first time really using Necrons in any capacity was in Dawn of War 1. And yet they have voice things there when you click on them and they do things, but, you know, that could just as easily be how they communicate with each other. It was only really in the opening cinematic for um, Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 where you actually have a scene of um, one of the Necrons interacting directly with uh, Belisarius' call uh, that you even can perceive they then have this ability to interact with humans beyond just simply trying to exterminate them. Um, and so that, that that really helped with developing my own campaign about, you know, uh, having, you know, Necrons with an agenda uh, because the, the individual Necron warrior is largely unintelligent. You know, it's, yeah. it's largely effectively just a, a shambling so shell control. What, what, what happened was when they did the biotransference, they yeah. transferred the Necron's mind into a new body. Mm. Now, dependent upon that person's social status, status they went, okay, right, you're going to get a really good body, which can hold a lot of mind. And you're not going to lose much of your personality. You're still going to have your thoughts, drives, wishes, hopes, and dreams. Yeah. You know, the nobility or the, the, the engineers, the scientists. Yeah, these were the, these became the cryptics and the lords. Yeah. And, yeah, they got the best quality bodies, which can repair themselves and do everything perfectly and the fantastic warriors, super strong, super smart, super fast. Yeah. And then your average blacksmith or guy who dug ditches or in turn, got a Necron warrior body, which barely contains anything. And also on top of that is the fact that every time a Necron dies and gets rebuilt, their mind, they lose a tiny little bit of that. And while they're asleep, they lose a tiny little bit of that as well. So the Necron warriors have been asleep for... 65 million years. 65 million years are just zombies. Where the Lords, some of them are completely insane because corruption yeah and others you know mostly there and some of them are completely gone yeah yeah in the middle you've got things like your your lich guard and your destroyers who are sort of like the upper the upper class without necessarily being the intellectuals i I believe one of the special character necrons i can't remember his name because of his mind is so corrupted he believes he's still fighting against the old ones and he's still flesh and blood leading flesh and blood armies okay and he's just crazy yeah, <laughs> but he's the Lord, therefore he's in charge. Therefore, everyone has to do. Yeah, what so, so his, his mindless automaton worshippers won't, won't won't rebel against him. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So certainly, yeah. With the Sonic, so the Sonic King was mentioned extensively during the Death Watch RPG yeah. because you had uh, this character Ozcan, um, who was trying to effectively find a body he could transfer the Silent King's consciousness into, and he was experimenting with things like, you know, would a human body be a better choice? Would a space brain body be a better choice? That sort of stuff. And, and obviously these were things were designed to put him up against um, yeah. the, the Death Watch in the, in, the, in the scope of the game. Um, but now with the Silent King coming back, and we've seen limited pictures of the miniature, they have sort of shown, they, they showed some sort of teaser shots during the thing on the weekend, but since then, um, Eddie Eccles has put up a picture on Warhammer Community where you can clearly see it in the background. Um, there's definitely a part of a Catan shard built into the Silent King's throne. Yeah. Um, so certainly, there's like, also a Catan shard out and free. Which yes, looks yeah. awesome with those wings. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the interaction between the Necrons and the Catan is quite interesting now because effectively, 
they are enemies, so to speak. The, the, the Necrons did defeat the Catan yeah. um, in vengeance for, you know, betraying well, by tricking them into the biotransference. But they couldn't kill them. But they couldn't kill them, that's it. So, so they so just they, broke them up into lots and lots of little bits. And they, and they use that power now. Yeah, and they trap them inside Tesseracts. Yeah. And the and the Catan themselves, you know, they've inflicted things like but the the Flayer Curse, for example, was inflicted upon the Necron tier or by the Necrons by the, one of the Catan, for example. So they, they still do when they, when they're able to, they still do sort of attack the Necrons too. But yeah. for the most part, they're a weapon the Necrons use. Um, the other thing with uh, I want to get, come back to was because we talk about the fact that the final book of um, Psychic Awakening is called Pariah. Now, Pariah has a few meanings in. 40k. First off, it is the pariah gene is the gene which allow which basically creates uh, untouchables. Yeah. So um, you know people that have no warp presence and therefore suppress all psychic powers. Um, on top of that, there used to be in the setting. So this is from Necron's third edition. Yes, it's interesting because they were retconned out essentially. They were retconned out exactly. They, they did appear in Dawn of War one. They were in third edition, the third edition Necron book, which were called Necron Pariahs, which were where the Necrons had actually captured human pariahs and then applied applied biotransference to them to transfer them to Necron-like bodies. And so they were now these um, Necron-similar things. So they, for example, I think that they, they, they weren't living metal, for example. They were just a metal shell. But they they still had the, the untouchable quality. They, they still suppressed psychic powers. Um, they use a slightly different gas weapon. They use like a, a, a weapon that was like a, a war, war glaive slash gas blaster in one. Um, but yeah, they were primarily only really in that third edition book and in Dawn of War. And when you said they'd been retconned out, they, they just, there was, they, they never sort of got rid of the lore that created them. They, they, just, they were mentioned in a later book yeah. and they essentially said, oh, the, the plan to use them was considered flawed and they were all destroyed and terminated. Yeah. So it's like, they decided that, that that path they were going down wasn't going to work. Let's get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. So that's what that's what I'm interested in to see. Will we potentially see, you know, a return of the Necron Pariah as part of this this what's going on now with the setting? You know, they yeah. want they always want to bring out new forces. We've seen a lot of sort of new Necron stuff in the in the previews. It might be an interesting one because keeping in mind that the Necrons don't have any sort of psychic ability. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the biggest speculations people keep having about Ninth Edition Warhammer, even before the announcement about it, was it was going to have some sort of persistent spells rule. Endless spell thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you have in, in Asia Sigma. Um, and that psychic awakening was all about how do we bring more magic into this game? Uh, and of course, Necrons are one of those few groups that really don't have any sort of psychic ability as such. And that potentially, without somebody making psychic Necrons, Bringing in anti-psychic necrons is a you know it still gives them a, a mechanism of relevance in that psychic phase, effectively. Yeah. Uh, although I think I don't know, I know. Catan can have some sort of power. They've though. got a power which is like psychic powers. They're used in the psychic phase, but they've got ups and downs. Some of them are very powerful. Some of them are very weak. But yeah, it's debatable about whether they're any good. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're talking about the Catan, I want to—I don't know if we've shared this theory on the show before. It's a, it's a theory that I've held for a while. I think other people have held as well. Um, what do you think about the theory that the Dragon of Mars is a Catan? Yeah, yeah, that's about the least. 
it, it's very plausible. I, I think. Yeah. I, I think calling it a theory yeah. is a bit silly at this point. <laughs> it, it's pretty much a guaranteed hundred percent thing. Yeah. Um, they just haven't put it in a book. I mean, there there are several of those things out there like that, and I think that's probably one of the the strongest theories out there that you know the shard of Mars. Yeah, yeah. So certainly, um, if you're not familiar with this this theory, that that my understanding of the backstory basically goes that the reason that the cult mechanics existed on Mars was that um, the the dragon of Mars, I can't remember its actual name, starts with M, um, was a Necron Catan that the presence of which no, no, a Catan, sorry, the presence of which would lead people in it um, to sudden. Technological breakthroughs, scientific breakthroughs, just just by being around it, you would sort of come up with with new ideas and things to build, etc. Um, and that at some point or other, the emperor realized there was this, this effectively alien god um, living on Mars, um, went and defeated it, um, you know. And so, and th- 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 therefore, the stories of the emperor slaying a dragon come you know come around, defeated it, realized he couldn't actually destroy it, in the same way the Necrons couldn't destroy it. So then he imprisoned it in the labyrinth beneath Mars. But he realized that the presence of this creature on Mars would mean that when mankind eventually reached Mars, they would have these sudden, you know, scientific, scientific break. breakthroughs and start bringing all this machinery out, you know, which would potentially could empower this thing once again. So he then seeded onto Mars things that he could then later proclaim as signs that indicated that he was a god so that when it came to reuniting Mars with, with Terra... Um, and they had the whole thing with the, you know, where he healed the, the, the Titan, um, was because he had set up this, this flow of, flow of events where he would be challenged by the, by the people of Mars. He would prove himself to be connected to their God and therefore they would rejoin the fold. And, you know, it was all set up because he knew what the influence of the dragon of Mars would be. Yeah. Um, so that's the theory anyway that goes around. It's a, it's a theory that I like. It's a theory that I'm currently using in my road trader game. Um, so I don't want to go into too much detail. I think maybe one of the one of my one of the players might listen to this show, so yeah. I probably avoid talking. Avoid too talking much. too much about it. Exactly right. Okay. <laughs> and and for people that might be might watch the show as well, who this is this program too. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think the Necron stuff is is quite interesting. I think that you're right; they have really changed up Necrons from time to time in the past, and this is just another example of a Necron change. Um, not necessarily a bad one, you know. I um. I think that the new look looks pretty cool. In some ways. I think most Necron players will be very happy to get some new models. Yes. Um, considering how long it's been between drinks for them, really. Have you ever built Necron models? No. Okay. I've, I've always avoided it. Yeah. So I thought these were really, really easy to build. They are not easy to build. But the the where the legs join the waist is the most annoying mechanism. Like to try and tiny little ball joint. It's what it is. It's like it's like it's like a pin. With like a really, really wide socket, so because that way you can slide it around to get the exact orientation you want. But there is no friction to actually no grip and no grip, and especially because if you build the the whole, because most instructors say build the whole top body first, so you've got the gun there, so you've got this large weight pulling to one side, so you've really got to hold each set of legs and torso until they are solid. Because if you put it down, the weight of that gun starts to pull on that connection. You could put the gun on last, you know. But that's not the way they're shown in the in the, in the thing. <laughs> I think I think when I ended up doing it last time, I ended up putting like a deck of cards on me next to them so I could rest the gun on the elevated platform yep. to prevent the weight from pulling the Necrons over. So, <laughs> I 
Although I haven't, I haven't actually built Necron Warriors because Necron Warriors have the, have the smaller gun. I built um, Immortals, which have a much larger gun. Yeah. Um, still, I, I, they, they were not as easy as I thought. I built lots of good, nice build models. They are um, not amongst them. No, that's right. Yeah, it's like it's like the Redemptor Dreadnought. The the Redemptor Dreadnought kit. I thought this looks like a great kit to build. I hate the Redemptor Dreadnought kit. Easy um, to build Redemptor Dreadnought. Yeah, that's great. Oh, it's great. Although the detail there is, is there's some of the areas where if you look at if you look at the easy to build versus the full kit, the detail is actually really really different when you get down into the the, the nitty gritty of it as well. But um, that being said, the Invicta Warsuit, which is effectively based on the um, uh, on the Redemptor Dreadnought is a lot easier to build, but there's still this whole thing with the legs where you've got to sort of almost plan the legs out without knowing how they're going to look. Otherwise, my the one Redemptor I have built from the full kit is like really, really bending forward, uh, almost like it's about to fall over because I just, because the legs, by the time the legs were glued, it was too late. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's wax, wax lyrical. So there's the Necron side of things. Um, yeah, I think that's really probably the bulk of it with ninth edition with between now and then we've still got engine wars got to come out. Yep. So this is going to cover off. Um, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's going to cover off, um, Devs Mechanicus, Imperial and Chaos Knights and Demons. Then you've got war of the spider. It's still got to come out. Uh, and then finally got pariah. Um, so I'd say even, even in a release schedule of, of one book a month, um, which is probably the, the, they were doing that towards the end of last year when they first started psychic awakening. So, if they bring out um, uh, Engine War in June, um, War of the Spider in July, August for um, for Pariah, you're probably looking at September still then for ninth edition. Um, so I'm interested to see how they do now. They've I reckon it won't be until October, November. Yeah? I I'm, 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 saying, I'm saying the earliest, or earliest it would be. I, I yeah. reckon it'll be just before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it will be this year. I, I, I want to get in on this calendar year, especially because I said at the very start, you don't announce a product and then sit on it for ages because people stop buying the interim product until then. Yeah, and I mean, no one's going to buy 8th edition rule box. They might buy the box set to get the models because it was the last chance to get them. Yeah. But the rule book itself, the core book, forget. Yeah. No. I told you, Mike, that I, I joined this Warhammer Buy, Sub, and Sell site. And yeah. like the cadence of stuff going up in there is really, really amazing. Like There's probably 10 to 15 new posts every single day. Yeah. And, um, thi- and things go, things go, things go so quickly as well. Yeah, depends on the stuff though. Yeah, a- anything which has pro painted written at the front of it, forget it. No <laughs> one touches that with a ten foot barge. Yeah, everyone, everyone's yeah. Anyway, it's new on sprue or new in box, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I told you the story about how the first thing I actually applied to buy a contact that is available, and they're like, "Yep, so like send me your PayPal details," and uh, they did. And then I had to put my kids to bed, and I got back from my com- my computer like. 40 minutes later, and the guy's like, didn't hear back from me, so I sold somebody else. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. anyway, um, no, but that's, 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 uh, I, I've seen, I have bought some stuff there. I bought a Redemptor Dreadnought, not a Redemptor, sorry, Contemptor Dreadnought, Blood Angels of Contemptor Dreadnought, which I don't know what I'm going to do. It's fully magnetized as well, apparently. Fully magnetized yeah, Blood con- Angels Contemptor Dreadnought. Dreadnought. That's it, yeah, but. Completely useless <laughs> for both of us. <laughs> Um, but it was a job lot with a uh, with a Leviathan Sea Dreadnought. Okay. So fair enough. Yeah, is that which, magnetized? No, it's not magnetized. That is for the, uh, with, with the siege with the siege cannon. Uh, sorry, with the storm cannon and the siege fist. Is it being put together? It's been put together. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'll oh. probably show you the pictures later. Yeah. So. <laughs> but it was a good deal. It was a good deal. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I did. I don't have a use for a Leviathan Dreadnought. I'll probably paint it as an Imperial Fist now. You know. 
Oh, you can buy from Dreadnoughts. Fantastic. Yeah. The only problem is, when they announced Ninth... Did you see in the FAQ? They're doing redoing all the Imperial Armour books? They specifically mentioned that you can't use any Forge World stuff going into Ninth Edition. Yeah. So it. it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes them to get those Imperial Armour books out. Yeah. Which have been desperately in need of a... You know, of a read. Well, they've not been well balanced, yeah. They That's weren't it. well balanced when they first came out. And they came out at the same time as the original indexes when 8th edition dropped, and then no updates at all. Yeah. A little bit in the FAQ to adjust the points, but nothing really to fix some of it. I just hate resin. <laughs> there, was a, there was a good deal for a while on one of the Warhammer Bicycle Cell sites this week for a, um, one of the tanks to get caught again, the, uh, the um, Space Marine tanks uh, that you like. Glaive? Falchion? No, the one, the, one, the one with the accelerated autocannons. Um, oh, the uh, the, the Sakaran. Sakaran, yeah. Good, good price on the Sakaran. fantastic tank. But I'm just like... I, I don't at, actually have one. Yeah, I look at it and go, resin tank. Do I want to put a resin tank, you know? The only thing I hate one of resin is metal. And I used... I mean, it's funny because I used to be so... It's all metal. All metal. Plastic is crap, you know? Yeah. But now I hate metal. I, I, I literally throw away metal models now that I, that I find and dig out. I go, I, 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 it's not even worth my trouble to try and sell this. Or, I don't even give it away. I just put it in the bin. See, that's um, terrible to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly because I, I, recently I've been looking for certain metal models which are only ever produced in metal. Okay. Absolute. So there's, there's a bunch of. St- I should give you back the bunch of stuff you gave me that I've still got. You gave me a bunch of old metal, metal, metal like marines. Metal, metal marines, like metal terminators, that sort of stuff. Oh, I'm, like, I'm, no, yeah. I'm never going to use. You're welcome. Yeah, to well, I'll, I'll have them back. I'll have a look. <laughs> Selling you the junk I don't want. Yeah, it's a it, couple it's that I'm interested. Better, better that somebody uses it and doesn't exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's the that's the 40k um, war game side. Let's have a quick chat now in the show about the the, the RPG. So. Yeah. Um, in terms of what's actually happened with Wrath and Glory since the uh, the release of the the PDF, not a substantial amount. They did actually um, put out recently a free adventure for download. Yep. Um, which we actually linked through our um, uh, through our Facebook page which as well. I linked through our Facebook. Yes, you link. Sorry. Yeah, well, it's it's just this grimmed up podcast link. Thank yeah, you very okay, much. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I do everything else. You can do one thing every now and again. Um, <laughs> every time they announce anything, I'm the person who links it. Okay? You're the faster one. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so Graveyard Shift uh, yeah. is the is the free adventure which has been put up on the Cubicle Sim website. I honestly have not had time to this week to download and look at it, I'm afraid. I've so. had a glance through it, and it looks balanced. Yep. Um, it looks new, which is the most important thing. That means they are, they are putting stuff together and they are releasing stuff. Yep. Um, and it's free. I mean... With that said, I mean, what more can you really ask? Exactly right. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen a lot of people doing um, uh, live streaming uh, or or YouTube channels doing Wrath and Glory now. So there's a group that's doing a, a dark Dark Tides playthrough, for example. Yeah. Um, there's quite quite a few have jumped up, and even even the Wrath and Glory show I was on uh, late last year and started this year has had like a noticeable, well, I think noticeable, like a ten percent jump in in views from people obviously just looking to see how does Wrath and Glory play yeah. uh, on the table before they pick it up. Um, I guess the other bit of news from Cubicle 7 was they released the PDF for Age of Sigma Soulbound as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, so you haven't had a chance to look at this yet, have you, by the way? No. Okay. So, uh, so I picked it up. Other than the artwork. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I picked it up and I found it a really interesting read for a couple of reasons. First off, I don't really know the Age of Sigma setting that well. Okay. Um, so I had no idea that Stormcast Eternals were actually people that like die and come back to life in new bodies every time they die. Uh, and they're like seven foot tall and 
um, these sort of like angelic beings. I had, I, I just thought they were like, this is the default human faction now. Um, no, that's Imperial Cities. Yeah, that's it. I mean, because I, I, or Warhammer Cities. I can't remember what they call them now. But yeah, I, I was, I didn't play um, Warhammer Fantasy for a long time, and I, I don't, I'm not really across the whole thing with, because I understand with Age of Sigma, you're not actually playing on the old world. You're playing in like these realms. Think of it kind of like the old dimensions in D and D. Yeah, okay, like Planescape yeah. almost. Planescape yeah. kind of setting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's like a realm of light, a realm of shadow, a realm of this, a realm of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so I learned more about the setting. The second thing was, it, and it was probably the fact that it came out right after the Wrath and Glory book, but I, I looked at it and I said, if I looked at these two books with knowing nothing else about them, I would assume that they were designed by the same person, you know, in the same, you know, in concert with each other. You know, the the, the rule systems are... Similar. Demonstrably similar, um, as to almost feel like it was consistent. Now, we know from, you know, when we, when we chatted with the guys from Mueller season with Ross that, um, you know, they all work on Wrath and Glory. Cubicle 7 was working on Warhammer Fantasy and Age of Sigma. And that, um, I'm sure there might have been some guidance from GW. I don't know what, but, you know, they will, they were developed in a vacuum, basically. Um, but Wrath and Glory is characteristic plus skill equals dice pool rolling for successes. Soul Band is characteristic plus skill equals dice pool rolling for successes. Um, I don't know how big a fan I am of this sort of complexity system that, uh, that, that Age of Sigma Soul Band uses, where effectively, so in Wrath and Glory, um, your successes are on a uh, four, five, or six, and sixes count twice. So you roll as many dice as you get, fours are above count success, and you need to get a certain number of successes. With your dice pools in Age of Sigma Soul Band, you have, yep, number of dice you roll, but you also have, the difficulty is the number of successes are required, but there's also a complexity, which is what on a dice counts as a success. Yeah. So, for example, a 1-4 roll would require one successful dice, where successful dices are fours or above. You know, a 1-6 roll would require at least one six here on the dice pool. You know, a 3-5 roll would require at least three fives or sixes, for example. Um... So I guess from a GM point of view, the, the cognitive dissonance is getting your head around when do I put up the number of successes required versus when do I put up the number required for a success? Uh, and, and then something that I, I, I need to, this is quite easy to work out, working out what that does mathematically to the chances of success versus the dice ball. This is one of the people think people struggle with originally in the FFG Genesis system yeah. is understanding what, putting up what gives me what mechanical benefit? Like, how much better out I have a skill because uh, graded a green to a yellow versus out of another green? Uh, and people end up doing these these really complicated mathematical charts that would tell you, based upon the difficulty of a roll, you know, what the effects of more blues, more yellows, more greens was going to be to your actual roll. Um, because it's not intuitive, that part of it. No. Which, you know, for it to say, I mean... There's an argument either way there. Um, when a system is too intuitive, it's easier to game that system. And, and people are, are making decisions because it is mechanically the most advantageous thing to do rather than what my character would do, you know. Um, when, when the system is more, uh, is, is, is more sort of uh, obfuscated in its design, you just play the game and what you get is what you get. But, well, yeah. yeah. 
I kind of agree with you there, but I kind of disagree as well. Yeah. Because I, I feel that if it's easier for you to shoot against a door, get a ricochet and then hit the guy, or just shoot through the wall, yeah. you'd know that. Yeah. You'd know and, and which one's easier just by looking at it as a person. Yeah. And, and I would go, you always... I have more chance of doing that, I have less chance of doing that. You wouldn't need to then go look up, you wouldn't have to game the system if the system was really intuitive. Yeah. And you, you certainly you get more achievement from the, you, you get more sense of achievement from defeating a known odd. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we know what, what, what odds are stacked against you as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, without playing it, I don't know how it will play out, but the, the, that system is sort of like, I looked at it, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, it's a very simplistic system in terms of the fact it's only three characteristics. Um, my, uh, body, mind, soul. Basically, that's it. Uh, so once again, when you bring your dice pool, it's that plus a skill, basically. Um, is it a big skill list? Uh, not as big as Wrath and Glory. Yeah, you know, okay. so, so, I mean, it's, and it's not like the old, like the FFG systems were as well, you know. So you're talking maybe 20, 25 skills total, so then, you know. No, that's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because when they built Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay originally, um, so let's go back to the GW days, then subsequently Hogshead, et cetera, they never said, hey, let's make people play what you're playing in the war game. You know, you're not, Imper- you're not Bretonian knights. You're not Elven war dancers. You're a cook. You're a rat catcher. You know, you're a ballet. Um, Eventually, you might become a war dancer. <laughs> they did bring out the rules in White Dwarf. Yeah. Um, but they, they sort of said, you know, they, they, they had a trouble. I think they had trouble coming up with the classic D&D group, four people meet in a bar and go adventuring yeah. by pulling together four random things from the war game experience. Yeah. They were more interested in, like, four random people from a grim dark fantasy setting yeah four people in town decide we're going to become adventurers yeah we're going to go to the tavern and we're going to try and find a job killing rats that's right and you end up with a rat catcher <laughs> a laborer a valet and a beggar yes. <laughs> um whereas with with agency my soulbound i didn't get the feel that the book gave a lot of guidance on okay, this is what a typical group looks like and this is what a typical session looks like. It's just, hey, you can use this book to make RPG characters of Stormcast Eternals, of um, what are the... the I don't know why I'm asking you. You don't know what half the stuff I'm using is, but like the, the, the dwarves with with, mecha- with uh, mechanical suits or the internet deepkin wave casters, that sort of stuff. You know, you can basically build most iconic things from the Age of Sigmar um, war game but then when you've got those four characters there, why there's five characters there, you know, because... Why we, are they interacting? Yeah, you're, you're talking about, once again, a setting which is not set on the old world. It's set in this sort of, this multi-realms um, sort of setting. You know, where do they meet? What do they do? What are their goals? How do they realize that, you know? And, and as I said, I haven't sat down and read the book cover to cover. I, I, I got the book, I downloaded it, I, I went straight to character creation, read the character creation, I was like, wow, this is just like Wrath and Glory. You know, read through all the archetypes. Wow, this is just like Wrath and Glory, just different. Um, but I need to sort of have a better idea about what does a, an agency my game look like. Um, I don't, I'd, I'd love to see somebody do it on YouTube, for example, and do it on Twitch, especially somebody who's really into the agency my setting. Like, like I'm, I said, I'm, I'm not. You know, yeah. I, I, the only, I, I own one agency in my book, and it's the Daughters of Cain Battle Tome. That's it. Um, oh, and I own Path of Glory too. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not something I've, I've really invested into since they bought it out. But 
Um, yeah, I think that the RPG, the quality is really nice. The artwork is really nice. The production quality is great. Really looking forward to seeing it in a, in a hardcover book as well when it comes out too. Um, and actually, I don't know if I told you, but um, our friend Matt um, actually managed to find me a copy of the collector's edition of the Cubicle 7 Warner Fantasy Roleplay book. Oh, really? Yeah, so um, okay. yeah, I've got a, I've, I've already paid him for it, but I haven't seen him like for three months now because we've all been locked down for this virus. But next time I see him, I've got this leather-bound book coming my way. Okay. Because um, I thought about buying it so many times and just haven't, but uh, now now I can. Uh, Maybe with leather-bound. I'm not sure what it is, but it's 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 just a collector's edition book. Um, yeah. So so this is something from the RPG there, but I think right now we're still in a bit of a holding pattern. Yeah. Waiting for waiting for what's next. Yeah, I think at the moment they're in a, almost like a play test stage with the last latest releases of um, Wrath and Glory. Mm. So they're waiting to get lots of feedback, and there is lots of feedback out there. Um, most of it's positive, and hopefully they take all of that and they use it to, to put something together. Well, they've got this whole paradigm shift to do because when they when they first picked it up, their job was take what somebody has already written and improve it. So. You know, you, you literally you, you you've got a framework which is fleshed out, and you're just you're moving bits here and there. Whereas now they've done that tick, that's done. Okay, next thing, create something new from scratch. Yeah. Um, now we don't know. There may have been something that was being worked on previously that, that they've they've been given a half completed framework they've got to add to now, or it may have literally been as all we've done is wrath and glory in these card decks and this starter pack. Everything else now it's on you, babe. You know. Yeah. Um. So I guess we'll see. Um. Yeah, you know that Gen Con's been cancelled this year, did you? Did you hear that? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, no, so, so Gen Con was, it held out for a long while because it wasn't until August. And so yeah. obviously in the US things are opening up. Uh, I had tickets for this year, um, but uh, obviously I think that international travel from Australia at least is not going to happen this calendar year, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but they are going to do a virtual Gen Con, like Gen Con online. So I don't know what that will look like. Uh, what I could imagine is that certainly a lot of the companies that were going to release things at Gen Con We'll still want to do big releases, so I imagine there'll be some sort of, you know, release schedule online you can catch up with. Yeah. Um, but anybody that had tickets this year, their tickets were automatically converted to next year's show, for example. So yeah. uh, at this point in time, I'll, I'll still plan to go there next year. Um, but yeah, I guess hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we either see something at Origins. Well, well sorry, Origins has been cancelled too, but where they do something, you know, in the, on the Origins weekend as well. Yeah. Um, or we hear something you know, around around the Gen Con time, but. Also, we will still be in communication with Cubicle 7 to get this interview organized once um, I hear back from from the team there. Uh, and then um, other than that, I guess we just keep an eye out for stuff to, to cover on the show. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking, like, I out t- today when we recorded, like, do we just chat for an hour and a half about this stuff or do we try and get some show content in there, like our regular nah, sort of content? Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's things I'd like to do, especially with the new edition. I'd like to sort of talk about because with New Edition, it does encourage you to create your own archetypes or modify the archetypes. I want to sort of... Discuss that first. Discuss that how further. How to do that. How to do that. And maybe go through some examples, seeing stuff which doesn't exist in the current archetype packages and then sort of step them out or have a look at how that would actually work. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, um, yeah, I guess well, we'll, we'll be back from time to time to talk about the game. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more stuff coming with, with um, the, seventh, uh, sorry, the ninth edition of the War Game 2 yeah. to talk about. So... You won't get any shortage of just 40k waffle from us. You know, we, we've, we've waffled about 40k now for a long time. It's, uh, I, I was to Mike before that, uh, one of the things that I've been doing in my day job is, um, running trivia for the various, so I was running it for my team at the office first off. 
Uh, and then some other people in the office started hearing about my trivia and suddenly we're now getting these challenges from other teams. And Because I, I work for a company in Australia, about 550 people. Uh, other other divisions are challenging our division, so I'll then run the trivia for my division and this and this challenging group. And the last group that that joined last week, their feedback was, "Wow, James has got a good radio voice. He should do a podcast." Yes. Uh, and, it, and I said it to my wife, which is like, "Did you did you tell him you've been doing one for seven years?" I'm like, seven years." Yeah. So it's, yeah, seven years since we started the side of this show. Well, we'll be, we'll be seven years in uh, in October, September, October. I think is when we first started yeah, the year, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, but we'll, we, we'll get together from time to time and chat about it, and hopefully you enjoy listening to us still waffle about, about 40K. Yeah. Um, so that's probably it. Anything else that you wanted to cover off? I think Not was... really. I think that's probably it. Yeah, you want to go home and have dinner, I assume. I've had dinner. Oh, you haven't had dinner? No, okay. I had dinner before I left here. Yeah. Okay, no worries. I, didn't feel, I don't feel bad about eating in front of you then. No. All right. Well, uh, we hope you had a good time listening to us. Um, please do, once again, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, on uh, you know, check out my Road Trader game um, Saturdays uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is Sunday 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, slash sometime in the UK. Um, I don't know what. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, if you want to watch them, and it's also it's all on uh, YouTube afterwards at uh, youtubecom slash Otherwise, email us sharkgrim.podcast.com, and we will catch you next time. Mike, thanks very much. No problem. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Ulysses of America. One of 40,000, Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Road Trader, Deathwatch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Mission. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Media and Spiel Distribution GmbH. All other materials are trademarks of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kilsoffer and is used under license.